0: Welcome to another intriguing episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Our guest today,
1: Marilyn Thomas, writer-producer.
2: I've had the great fortune of being able to travel around the world with projects. I've been all over Western Europe. I went to India, I went to Nepal. I have friends all over the world now, so that's amazing. But there's definitely something about being in Los Angeles, walking out of my house and seeing the Hollywood sign. You know, it's still astounding to me.
0: Monetizing your creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents?
2: I think there's something that raises your profile in just saying, I am now a corporation. This is my commitment. I'm doing this professionally. It is a bit of a moral boost because you're like, wow, I am a producer. I can call myself that. It's not just, you know, small projects that we're doing with our friends.
0: We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and with me, as always, is your other host, Fred Keating. We are back again at one of our favorite places in Hollywood, California. We are at the Chateau Marmont.
1: That's right, uh, overlooking iconic Sunset Boulevard, and we're on the cool side of the pool side, Marvin, as you always uh, like to position us so carefully in this bamboo and palm frond-laden environment. The
0: grounds are beautiful. Fred, tell me about our guest today.
1: Our guest today, Marilyn Thomas, writer-producer. I first met Marilyn years ago on a series up in Canada in Vancouver called Da Vinci's Inquest. At the time she was making herself known on various sets and locations as a go-to gal for whatever needed to be done at the moment and Consequently, it was very good to me in that when my daughter was uh, making films, would very graciously uh, stand in as guardian uh, for my young daughter while uh, I was fulfilling other obligations. So Marilyn and I go back a few years, and when I heard that she had moved to L.A. about four coming up five years ago, I thought when we started to come down here, we should really check in and get Marilyn's perspective on uh, this version of Lotus Land. Marilyn, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here and see you again after a few years. Happy to catch up.
1: And you're familiar with this surroundings. You've, You've been to the Chateau many times, yes?
2: Yeah, I like the Chateau. It's one of those places, it's iconic Hollywood and, you know, there's always stories about it. I like my tabloids um, you know in good fun and so usually when somebody comes to visit I bring them here and it's just you know good food nice location and once in a while you'll see the person at the next table and go "Oh, wait a second I know that guy
0: now what drew you to Hollywood in the first place
2: you know I think way back when there was this idea that I would always come to LA and I and it was even before I knew I was gonna be in film and so there was always that in the back of my mind. And when I actually started to get into film, in the beginning, I was like, I'm going to stay in Canada and do things here. At one point, it just we had a bad run in, in Vancouver where things started to slow down a little bit. And I said, well, I'm either going to have to go to Toronto and L.A. And the sunshine sounded like a much better option.
1: And has it turned out to be that way?
2: Absolutely. I enjoy the sunshine. I mean, we're here... And, you know, don't have to put on a jacket quite yet. We'll see what happens when the sun goes down. So it's nice.
1: Tell us about what you would consider career milestones, pivotal moments, either good, bad or ugly.
2: I mean, definitely. So when we first met on Da Vinci's, that was the hottest show in Canada at the time. It was one of my favorite shows. And so to have that be my first job, I felt like I was incredibly spoiled. I love the crew. I love the cast and I worked on it for two years and it was one of the best experiences of my life so to me that was my film school that was one of the big milestones and in 2006 I realized that I wasn't getting my own projects made so I decided to open my own company so that would be another milestone and I started creating my own projects producing my own content because I didn't see that it was getting made otherwise and so I just decided if no one's going to do it I'm going to do it
1: and was there a A time when, in fact, you said to yourself, I'm doing it, I'm living the dream, I'm where I ought to be doing what I ought to do.
2: I, you know, I mean this business is so crazy that we go through highs and lows all the time and I've had the great fortune of being able to travel around the world with projects. I've been all over Western Europe, I went to India, I went to Nepal, I have friends all over the world now, so that's amazing. But there's definitely something about being in Los Angeles, aside from the traffic, but going to events and being in the same room as the people you grew up with and idolized and, you know, being able to go by the Kodak Theater, walking out of my house and seeing the Hollywood sign. I mean, it's still, you know, it's still astounding to me.
0: You mentioned that you took to developing your own projects. What does that look like?
2: I think for everybody it's different. I had no idea what I was doing, so... In hindsight, I think I would recommend that somebody find a producer mentor, somebody who's gone through the process and can help with the applications and can teach you about tax credits and budgets and things like that. And so I learned as I went along. And so I looked into what it would take to create my own company. You do have to go through the same process, whether you're film or not film and establish your company and cor- go through your incorporation process. Then from that point forward, I started researching where I was going to get my money from and whether or not there was other resources or ones that were specifically available to me. You know, finding little niches and finding ways to get your projects made that maybe don't apply to somebody else.
1: It's funny uh, you talk about the incorporation process being the same for everybody. I can remember when I was just getting started how I won't say foolish, but I thought it was very presumptuous of some of my friends to hang a shingle out and call themselves, you know, gee whiz productions, when in fact they were about at the same level I was at the time. And I, I didn't appreciate that until a lawyer explained to me that, you know, when you incorporate, you're playing by the same rules as every other corporation. Whether, it's, whether you've got one or two people in your company and you're, you're negotiating with the, the Disneys or MGMs of the world, you are a corporate entity as well. And I found a great psychological boost in that, that I wasn't coming cap in hand asking for support or a contract or anything like that. I was coming to offer services that would be of value to them, and we were going to enter this business arrangement as two equal partners, so to speak, even though the one had... 70,000 employees, and the other one had me 22 out of 24 hours a day.
2: I totally agree with that. I think there's something that raises your profile in just saying, I am now a corporation. This is my commitment. I'm doing this professionally. It is a bit of a moral boost because you're like, wow, I am a producer. I can call myself that. It's not just, you know, small projects that we're doing with our friends. You know, you have to do things professionally, you have to deal with accountants and you know, other businesses in a professional manner.
1: This is one of the other advantages of incorporation, and that is that now you can write off legitimate business expenses uh, as long as you can justify them to the accountant and ultimately government that these are legitimate expenses in order to maintain your business, and that can help you as well as controlling what the business pays you which can keep you in a lower salary bracket and be advantageous tax-wise. There's a host of reasons, I think, why young professionals should at least explore the initial costs and responsibilities that come with incorporation.
2: It's also being aware of the things that come along with having a corporation. So it does mean there are going to be, some of your expenses are going to be to going to a professional accountant who's going to keep track of your books throughout time, it's also learning. So if you are trying to keep yourself out of a lower tax bracket, that also plays in if you're going for a mortgage down the road, it looks like you're not making as much money. And so you have to work with your accountant and your bank to make sure that you have the paperwork to show that yes, you are making this money.
1: That was exactly my experience. I had my accountant uh, demonstrate with my current tax returns, but also show that the company itself had grown each year over the previous five years, and that was what convinced the bank to give me a mortgage on what appeared to be a very low income. It's the business end of show business. Whether you do it yourself or hire professionals to do it for you in order to free you up to do the creative stuff, it depends on how serious you are about really getting involved.
2: Yeah. I mean, I always look at it as show business is a business. Um, I know some people will look at it as it's more an art form and the way they do their business is a little bit different. So they're looking more at grants and what's going to just specifically boost their, their specific project. And usually that means there's some cultural relevance and you can make a living doing that. And some people make a really good living, but there is a secondary side, which is Are you in this to have your story told and seen across theatres around the world, or are you making this because it's something that you feel has to be out there? And they don't necessarily always feel like a business proposition, but my personal opinion is that it should be.
0: Now, as an artist and as a business person, what is your creative niche?
2: Well, (laughs) it's changed a lot over the years. I think, you know, the one thing I've learned is that you have to be versatile. So you have to work with anything you've got. So, you know, where some people might see, um, so I am First Nations, which means I do qualify for diversity funding. And sometimes that's a blessing and sometimes it's a curse. Um, I'm also female. So sometimes people will look And say you know what we need to get more female writers and so they'll start to look out and look at me and so that can be good Um, and that is how I got my foot in the door was I was able to find a niche through my ethnicity and the stories I was trying to tell and make a career for myself that way however now that I've been in Los Angeles what I've realized is that I haven't done enough of my passion projects. I am a horror lover. I love action films. I love genre films, fantasy. And so now I'm refocusing again. So I'm almost not quite restarting, but I'm reigniting my career to follow my passion. And I'm about to start shooting a horror web series. And it just all came about in the last month. And I'm looking at doing a graphic novel. And so it's just putting feelers out and being as versatile as possible. But now my focus is, okay, I just want to do projects that I love.
0: Now, what does it take to actually get a project off the ground here in Los Angeles? So for instance, are you focusing just on the writing creative part of it? And are you working with a producer that you've engaged on the project? Or... You're doing both.
2: Again, I think I am I have to do both. Uh, I have the experience of doing a producer, but for the web series, I found a producer that I work really well with and I'm really excited about, and he's been down here a lot longer. Um, so he's got a really great sense of what needs to be done.
1: Can you share the name of the web series with us, or is it too early?
2: Uh, well, right now, we've called it 60 Second Screams. So it's going to be a one-minute horror film, and hopefully in 60 seconds, we can make you scream. <laughs>
1: Okay. I had to ask because we just recently uh, chatted with Gerald Auger. It's as if you were reading off the same page, told us very much the same story, wrapping up with getting involved in a new web series that has to do with indigenous horror.
2: Well, this is actually, we're we're just doing open horror. Uh, I did a series of interactive books. I work with a company in Vancouver called Rival Schools, and to me, the products that they turn out are so beyond what other people think about when you're thinking about cross-platforms and other ways to tell story. And we did this series of interactive kids' books that were based on traditional native stories, and the first one we released was Calca Lake, which is based on a Squamish story about a cannibal woman. And that was for kids.
1: But haven't stories through the years, through the, through the millennia been for kids? Ways that they can learn about uh, the whole oral history has been built on storytelling from one generation to another as as warnings about behavior.
2: I mean, Calcalique is, you better not get out of your bed at night because Calcalique's gonna come and get you.
0: Now, of course, our podcast is all about monetizing your creativity. So for projects like this, how do you get them funded? Does it involve money from investors? Does it involve sweat equity on your part? Uh, all of the above?
2: All of the above. <laughs> For our project specifically, uh, my producer has worked on a YouTube series that has had success. It's called Hacks of Life. It's a lot of fun. We I ended up meeting him originally at Comic-Con because they were hacking their way through parties. And it wasn't until we started talking at an event uh, about two months ago that I realized I had already met him. The way we're going to do this specific web series is that we are putting in our own equity. We're getting together teams that my producer has already worked with. And right now it's just everybody's doing it on a favor. And we're hoping down the line as we build a following, as um, our YouTube numbers go up, and our subscriber base goes up that we can start monetizing that way. For other projects I've gone through I've gone through grants, I've gone through broadcast license. So there's different ways and I know down in Los Angeles, it seems like everybody you meet has an investor that wants to invest in projects. Whether or not it actually ends up happening is a very different story, but around here everybody likes to look for investment funds.
0: Now, with this web series, with this YouTube series, you mentioned monetizing it. How do you expect to monetize that in the future?
2: So YouTube does do ads, and you can make money that way. It's also, once you start getting a certain level of subscribers, then they can, they'll can they approach you to start working with them. And there are also companies around town that will work with you to get sponsorship, and so... You know, I did product placement years ago, and it's a similar thing where you work with a company and it's like, okay, we're going to feature you in some fashion on our web series, and then we get a certain amount of money. And it's, again, based on purviews.
1: I did want to comment on the broad spectrum of craft categories that you've already participated in. And I say that because uh, we were speaking to a, a producer earlier today and when I said to her so what exactly does a producer do she said what what don't I do and then a little while later she talked about starting as a production assistant and I said so tell me when you were a production assistant what exactly did you do and she said what didn't I do I did what needed to be done which is how I got the the hat or the title may have changed the obligation to the quality of the product or project uh, of the moment uh, doesn't change, whether you're the production assistant or the producer. Simply, she had, as I believe you have, um, a much broader appreciation of the various craft categories and the collaborative effort necessary from all parties to make something come together and really succeed.
2: Absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. Um, I started off I was able to get an internship, and that's how I was able to get my first job on Da Vinci's Inquest. And so I got a job in the writing department. I had no desire at that time to be a producer, but while I was an intern, I was fortunate enough that I was on such a great show, and as soon as my job was done, I worked nine to five, which is very unheard of in the industry. And so I would work my hours, and then we shot at night, so I would leave the writing office and i would go to set and i talked to everybody to find out what their job was what their role was you know what challenges they have and just got to learn what all the cogs in the wheel are
1: as a writer intern in the writer's room notoriously hard den to crack what exactly did you do there was it coffee were you considered did you throw plot points out on the table how did they treat you and
2: uh, well, a writer's room in Canada is much different than down here. And so the writer's room that I participated in was a very quiet room, and I was very fortunate that I could do what I wanted. So I would go through, uh, I would go through the scripts and take notes. I attended all the meetings, read-throughs, cast read-throughs. And the, the fun thing about Da Vinci, so it was a show about forensics, So I think my first week there they said do you want to go to the morgue with the art department? And so I got a tour of the morgue, got to understand the ins and outs of what they do there. Yeah, I have to say that was definitely something that's never been repeated in my career.
1: You know for my money the most enjoyable aspect of being a writer was getting behind those doors marked employees only and finding out what took place in that mine or that factory or that hospital or that morgue although uh, I did go through a med school morgue once but that free education and that glimpse of other people's daily lives which you may either want to continue or in fact be glad it was only an afternoon
2: I thought I was completely spoiled I actually got paid to be an intern and so here I was on my favorite show with an amazing cast and crew I got to see behind the doors I got to I I still remember going to my first cast read-through and having Ian Tracy who was one of the leads on the show walk up to me and introduce himself and I just stared and I was like I know who he is (laughs) and I felt incredibly lucky but I also you know I got to see how they came up with the stories and I researched really unique stories about how somebody may have died and how we can incorporate that into the story. And I got to read coroner reports and learn that. And on that particular show, we also had, we had experts. So we had an RCMP expert who would review the script. And we had our former coroner, Larry Campbell. And at the time, I think when I was on the show, he was his first year term mayor. So we had the two of them and I got to read their notes and get a better understanding of how to make a show like that realistic but also how to work with people who are actually experts in the field as a writer.
0: While we're still on the topic of internships, what are your thoughts on internships in general regardless of the discipline? I'm guessing you would see this as a very valuable experience even if you're not getting paid.
2: Absolutely. I think you have to know going into an internship what your responsibilities are going to be. I know there have been issues where, especially down in the entertainment industry in L.A., you know, with people not being satisfied and feeling they're not getting something out of it. I feel like if you're going to get an internship, it's up to you to take that responsibility and decide what you're going to make out of it. Yes, you're going to have to go and get coffee, but then you stay late and you figure out what the person whose job you want or you think you want What they actually have to do so I absolutely I love internships I think they're completely invaluable you get an you get a chance to learn the job that you want and the skills that you need without being thrown into the deep end of the pool
0: you get to be on the other side of the fence and see how things are actually done
2: absolutely and what a chance that is I mean in this industry what an amazing opportunity to be able to see behind the scenes
1: if only to decide that it's not for you if only to decide that for any number of reasons you're unwilling to make the level of commitment that you see being made on a daily basis and the attrition in terms of personal and professional relationships that may result, I mean, you know, it's that's what you want to find out. Is Or
0: maybe you get your foot in the door as an intern, as a writer, and you decide, eh, maybe I don't want to be a writer after all now that I've seen how this actually goes down. But that cinematography gig, I think I want to go after that.
2: I've actually met more so in Los Angeles, but I've met quite a few people who've wanted to start as writers, and now they're agents, they're managers, they're producers, and they have a great understanding of story. They just realized that it was something that wasn't for them.
1: Which is also a good reminder to us to uh, be kinder than you uh, feel you may have to be to the people around you at a particular event or in a, in a workshop because you never know when those people, even though they're currently other performers, may be the ones making decisions about who's cast in a film and you want to leave good trail behind you and not burn any bridges with, uh, with your colleagues at any number of, of ages or
0: levels. And actually that person who's an intern today that you're working with may be your boss some years down the road.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I have the philosophy that we should all just be kinder to one another, no matter what somebody's position. But the biggest thing I've learned is that you never backtalk anybody because you never know who the person next to you is. And even if you think that, you know, you're in Los Angeles, nobody could possibly know each other, or if I say something at an event, that is so far from the truth. The amount of connections I've made here and the amount of people I mean, even people I've met here that are like, oh, you're from Canada, so you must know this person. Oh, wait, I do. It's such a small industry. It's such a small world. You're changing jobs every three months or so. And so you're constantly meeting new people. So the chances of having those connections or the person next to you knowing Joe that you didn't get along with on the last shoot you just have to suck it up and keep going and absolutely you don't know when the person who's the PA next to you is going to be he's going to be the producer in two years because he's that ambitious and
1: how are they going to remember you it is a much smaller town than people might imagine and of course as grandpa Keating might say be nice to the ones you meet on the way up because they're the same ones you meet on the way down
0: here we go again grandpa Keating Every second episode, I swear, Grandpa Keating is going to join us. We should just give him a guest star role in this podcast, Fred.
1: He's a font of information, he is. Marilyn, this has been particularly instructive. May we capture you for uh, another episode? I, I really want to expand on what it is that you've learned that we can share with others, not quite as far along the path as you are.
2: Absolutely. I mean, everybody has to start somewhere. And if anything, I say can help somebody not make all the same mistakes I did and get to where they want to be a lot faster. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much. Let's ask Marilyn back, please, Marvin. Let's
0: do that. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts while you're there please leave a review it helps us with our ratings you can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show and hey be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity